uh, where the ladies' retreat's going on, and so they're having church right now. Praise God! Out at the uh, wherever they are, I don't even know where it's at. Fahola, bless them. May they be blessed in their service. And we're continuing to look at the um, Great Commission. And this is part of a series, actually both January and February, uh, looking at our mission statement as a church, that we are called to live the Great Commandment and fulfill the Great Commission. We talked about what it means to live the Great Commandment, to love God with all of our heart and our soul, our mind and our strength. And then the Great Commission, <clears throat> which was uh, read in the video, it's uh, found in Matthew 28, uh, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, could you turn it down a little bit, uh, Jim, the mic? (coughs) And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that's the Great Commission, and we've been looking at that now a couple of weeks. Going to delve a little more into what it means, uh, what what Jesus meant by this uh, commission um, a little deeper today and the next week. Um, the intention is to look at, well, how can we fulfill it? What does it look like to be a Great Commission Christian in the 21st century? But just to delve into the meaning of some of these words and kind of to gain an understanding. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And, uh, you know, I mentioned last week that this is really, was ludicrous for him from an earthly perspective, but it's absolutely true that Jesus came with all authority. And it is the basis of the commission uh, that he has all authority on the entire planet as well as the entire universe. And so this word authority, uh, that is the basis for the commission. What does it mean? <clears throat> Literally, the dictionary definition is delegated uh, influence. Delegated influence. Ability or privilege. It means jurisdiction. Okay? So Jesus has all jurisdiction over the whole earth and the whole universe. <clears throat> and it's based on that jurisdiction that we're sent out. Another uh Dictionary puts it this way, it's the power of authority, influence, and right or privilege. The power of rule or government. The power of Him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. Must be submitted to by others and obeyed. See, this is an eternal truth. Alright? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the conditions that we live in or that we see happening throughout the world, the truth is that Jesus has jurisdiction. He has authority. He has the rule. And everyone will bow their knee to Him. Alright? His will will be done. So He bases this commission, this great uh, overarching commandment to his disciples to go out and conquer the world based on the fact that he was given, it was delegated influence, delegated authority. The Father gave it into his hands and 
And some of the commentators delve into quite detail that Jesus already had authority because He was one with the Father. He existed eternally. It was through Him that all things were created. And so He inherently had the authority because He was the Creator. But then he, because he came as a man and was redeemed through the resurrection, it almost as though he had double authority. He came uh, as the redeemer uh, to uh, claim the right and the privilege that was uh, for the descendant, the promised one, the Messiah. So he comes not only as creator, creator, but also as redeemer. And so in, in, in both ways, he has the authority. He has the jurisdiction. And we are commanded to go. <clears throat> Listen, you are commanded to go. Say, I am commanded to go. <laughs> Your thunderous voices at 10 a.m. in the morning. Who talks loud at 10 a.m. in the morning? Preachers do. <laughs> You're commanded to go. I'm commanded to go because He's our Lord. Okay? But we receive that as a command because we acknowledge His Lordship in our lives. But we have the right and the responsibility to go because He is the Lord of all. Alright? We're commanded to go because He's our Lord. Does this make sense? But we have the right and the responsibility to go to all because He is the Lord of all. Okay? So, His Lordship over me compels me and His Lordship over all gives me the right to walk every, wherever I go, I go in His authority. And Jesus said in, in verse 20, He says, Teaching them <clears throat> to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you all the days. This is from the Amplified. I like how He puts this, kind of highlighting Jesus' authority, and, and then another part of the promise here in verse 20. It says, We're to go teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So the Amplified kind of unpacks that <clears throat> word a little bit and gives us the meaning of what he meant by I'm with you always. And that he says, I'm with you all of the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion. Let me read a quote. Uh, because I think this really does, uh, uh, it's just a powerful uh, wording of what, what, this, what this means from a scholar. <clears throat> it says, concerning the, the very phrase, I am with you. It says, this is the amazing and blessed promise. He is to be with the disciples when he is gone, with all the disciples, with all knowledge and all power, with them all the days. All sorts of days. Days of weakness, days of sorrow, days of joy, and days of power. Till the consummation of the age. The goal is in the future and unknown to the disciples. The blessed hope is not designed as a sedative to an inactive mind and a complacent conscience, but as an incentive to the fullest endeavor to press on to the farthest limits of the world that all the nations may know Christ and the power of His risen life. So Matthew's Gospel closes in a blaze of glory. Christ is conqueror 
and in prospect and in fact. Christian history from that eventful experience on the mountain in Galilee has been the fulfillment of that promise in as far as we allow God's power to work in us for the winning of the world for Christ. The risen, all-powerful Redeemer who is with His people all the time. Jesus employs the prophetic present here when He says, I am, the great I am. He is with us all of the days till He comes in glory. Now listen, we understand this easily that He is with us always, as in the sense perpetually. But this idea that it's uniformly. Alright? And I challenge you. Do you believe this? That He is with you not always, but always in the same way. In other words, we experience God sometimes like, wow, God was really present. Oh, it was a great conference. I really felt Jesus. Oh, worship was great. Or I was reading my Bible. Man, it just something clicked and I really connected with the Lord. And so we see, we experience Him like in a heightened sense. Alright? But then the next day, you know, you have a bad day at work <clears throat> or someone is rude to you in some way and all of a sudden Jesus isn't there anymore. Alright? And, 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 and you're struggling with uh, stuff in your heart, issues of heart or conflict between people. Where's Jesus there at that time? He hasn't gone anywhere. Alright? He's with you always. He's there uniformly. Listen, saints, you have to grasp hold of this and hold on tight. Because the world, your flesh, and the devil wants to rip this truth out of you, out of your hands. The knowledge that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchanging, is present. So regardless of what you're going through, realize, hey man, all that stuff is just trying to, it's trying to distract me from the reality that Jesus Christ is present with me as much now as He was whenever I most felt Him. That's a life not based on feelings, but feelings based on the fact that Jesus' promise is trustworthy. And it's from that place of confidence that He is in authority and He's present that we can then go forth and fulfill this command. Jesus said it another way. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20, He says, Now when, when He was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered and said to, him, said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. In other words, you can't... He says the kingdom of God isn't like something you see with your eyes. He says you're not going to say, well, here it is. It's over in this town or it's over in that town. Let's go over there. He says, don't listen to that stuff. That's, that's junk. He says, what does he say? He says, for, for indeed or in truth, the kingdom of God is within you. Alright? The kingdom. The place where, God, where Jesus is king. His reign, his, his, his authority is in you. You carry it within you. Or Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1.27, says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of, his, of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Alright? What is Christ? Well, it's true that He is ascended and sets on the right hand of God, but it's also true that He resides in us. His authority, that same delegated authority that He received from the Father, He has delegated to you. And so His authority is present 
and is active in our lives. And we have to carry that. And from that, go out to fulfill um, this great commission. Jesus is present as we go out to fulfill and speak and work and act in His authority every day, every kind of day, till the last day. Alright? He's actively present. Are we actively present? That's the big question. <laughs> you know, are we do, do we dismiss Him and not think of Him? Or keep Him in church? Relegate Him to one section of our lives or a little part? Or do we allow Him to come and influence every aspect? Alright, that's the first ask, the first um, uh, part of the commission is that Christ has given us His authority. But there's another aspect, and really the other half of the Great Commission is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And I'm going to read verse 4 through 9 in the New King James. <clears throat> um, uh, this is really the same event uh, retold from a different perspective. Can I kind of just jump in into it? It says, "...and being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father." Uh, Jesus speaking to His disciples, "...which He said, You have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." Therefore, they had gone. <clears throat> therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel?" Again, even his disciples are thinking a literal kingdom or an earthly government. And Jesus said to them, <clears throat> um, "says It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put into His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be My witnesses." Or you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is another rephrasing of the Great Commission. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, uh, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of his sight, uh, received him out of their sight. And we see this fulfilled. Jesus' promise about the Holy Spirit coming in power in the next chapter, verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost had, had fully come, uh, they, were all, uh, they were all with one accord in one place. They were together praying, waiting on God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, then there appeared... Uh, to them, divided tongues as of fire. In other words, flames of fire. And one sat upon each one of them. So a flame of fire was on each one of their heads. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then, if you don't know the story, you should read it. It's in Acts. Uh, Peter <clears throat> goes out onto the porch or onto the balcony, and this is a feast of Pentecost, one of the biggest feasts in the Jewish culture. So thousands and thousands, the whole city was filled, tens of thousands actually. People came from all over the world, uh, 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 the civilized world at that time, uh, to, to this feast. <clears throat> and so there was a great crowd, and he preached the gospel to them, and, and thousands were saved. And that was the beginning of the church, is, is when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you have a combination of Jesus' authority, but also of the power in the Holy Ghost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we must understand that it takes both authority and power. I want to talk a little bit about what this, what this power involves. It's the word dunamis, 
And this uh, one of those Greek words that every Christian should be familiar with. It, it means force or power, but specifically it means miraculous power. That's the di- definition in the dictionary. It's miraculous power. In another dictionary, it, it talks about it as referring to strength or, or inherent power. Power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. <clears throat> okay? And so by its by virtue of its nature, that means that the very nature of uh, of the Holy Spirit is power. Okay, it's power that comes because of the nature of the, the essence of the being. And common illustration is, you know, if we flip the switch, uh, the lights wouldn't come on unless it was hooked up to the uh, the power company, right? Because the wire itself inherently doesn't have power. The light bulbs itself inherently doesn't have power. They're just conduits of power. But the electricity that flows through those uh, wires, inherently that electricity has power. Alright? And so if, if there's power in an electrical cable and you touch it, you feel the effects of it. Alright? And the Holy Spirit has power and Jesus said, you need to wait. You have the authority, but you need to wait until you also receive the power. And, and this happened uh, first there in Acts, and it's promised to all who believe. All right. So with the commission, Christ establishes His authority. We have the right and privilege and the responsibility uh, to go and preach the Gospel. But with the Holy Spirit baptism, we have the power all right, to go about and to fulfill it. You know, a police officer, let me tell the difference between authority and power. A police officer has the authority to stop, uh, stop you in traffic, you know, or, <clears throat> or if there's a conflict, it's his badge. He comes with the authority, and so if he says stop, he has the authority to stop you. But the power is in the gun. Alright? <laughs> you know, or the president has the authority, uh, to command because of the Constitution. He has that authority, but his power is in the military, United States military. All right, and so there's a difference. And some people have power without authority, and some people have authority with power without power. Okay, without with one or the other, it doesn't work well. You'll end up being a tyrant or a weakling and, and useless. <clears throat> All right, but when they both come together. And in the commission, we have the supernatural, the godly, the kingdom authority, and kingdom power. And unfortunately, over the course of history, some Christians have tried to use earthly power to implement kingdom authority. Guns and swords, right? But the Bible says, you know, the battle, that we, the warfare we, are, we wage is not carnal. We don't use those kind of weapons. But we have weapons. Alright? The spiritual power. And spiritual authority. <clears throat> Christ in filling us with His Spirit. And so we so desperately need the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and I believe that it is, if you remember a few weeks ago when Graham was talking about the Great Commission, that the church that is, that is growing exponentially and explosively throughout the world is the church that's open Two, the power manifestations of God. Charismatic churches. So, you know, the majority, I can't remember the quote exactly, but, you know, the majority of pastors are young, not theologically trained, charismatic, 
You know, the majority of churches are charismatic. You know, it's because at least we acknowledge and we seek after, regardless of how, how fluent we may be or how skilled we may be in the power, we're seeking after the power manifestations of God. Healing, deliverance, speaking in tongues, prophecy, all of that stuff is essential in fulfilling the kingdom of God, having it together. Okay, let's look at the Great Commission. There's five actions, five verbs that comprise the Great Commission. We just want to jump through all five of them rather quickly so that we have an understanding of what we're called. What is this great and grand commission uh, that Jesus has left in the hands of His disciples of which you and I are part? The first is go. Go, therefore. Boom. Go. It means to traverse, to travel, literally or figuratively. It also means to lead. Alright? Say lead. Lead. You know, when you lead, it implies you're going somewhere and someone's going with you. Alright? Is that too deep? So the commission is to lead, to move. You know, the the most basic understanding is it means to move, to be going somewhere. All right, and not just sitting and waiting or 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 or, 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 or expecting someone else to do it. All right, but getting up and moving. And there's, uh, you know, Jesus as the resurrected Lord begins the commission with this powerful word: Go. Go! And it's been reverberating throughout the church for all these centuries. Um, <clears throat> you shall be my witnesses in Acts 1. Uh, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> and this list of cities or regions is, um, you know, it started in Jerusalem. Judea, Jerusalem is a city. Judea is a province. Alright? Samaria is the next province, the next area, uh, regionally, until the ends of the earth. And so when Jesus said this to the disciples, it'd be like saying, you shall be my witnesses in Kalamazoo, in Michigan, in the United States, and to the ends of the world. Alright? And so there's an outward progression. Uh, that is the uh, call that we've been called to. Outwardly, an outward progression of influence and implementing the authority of the kingdom with the power of the Holy Ghost beginning where you are, going to where you're close to, extending to the very ends of the earth. <clears throat> this is the call for you. Say, this is, that's my call. It's your call. You've been called to it. Alright? You personally, as well as the church corporately, is to move onward and outward. We need to be doing this. We need to be looking forward. How can we implement? And people stagnate in their faith. You know, you don't... (laughs) I don't know if any could... Maybe... But people don't generally backslide if they're moving forward. You know, if they've fixated their life and their purpose to live in the authority and by the power of the Holy Spirit 
And their whole being is, is really set on fulfilling this. How can I implement this commission where I am to my neighbors, to my community, and to the world? It's like you don't even have to worry about backsliding or, or, or sin issues. Because you're focusing your energy and attention. Attenergy. <laughs> That's attention and energy. <laughs> I'm going forward. But this is what happens. Things come up in life. <clears throat> and we forget that Jesus is present uniformly and we get distracted with, with personal issues or conflicts or trouble here, trouble there, or financial issues, and we get stuck just looking down or inward at our own circumstance and we forget the call. Listen, you are personally called to fulfill this commission. Jesus Christ, not by me, by Jesus Christ. You will not have to answer to me. You know? We will all have to answer to Him. But it's not just a, a thing of, whoa, we've got to be, do this because we're afraid. Listen, this is an invitation to the great conquest. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing throughout the world. And you're invited to be part of the team. Alright? Part of His army. Go! <clears throat> Second thing is to make. Make disciples. It's actually one word in the Greek language. It just means it says disciple. Okay? So to disciple, it's a verb. Disciple the nations. And what it means is that uh, uh, we are to be disciples. In other words, a disciple is a student that makes students. We are to be disciples who make disciples. We lead people where? Into discipleship. All right? How? By example. Primarily. That they see us being students of who? Jesus. And we teach them how to be disciples, to follow Jesus. It's very easy. We're called to reproduce disciples that cause others to become disciples. Students of Christ that go out and enroll others into becoming students of Christ. You know, when you go to... Uh, it happens a lot. Young people go to a particular college or they find a college and they're so excited about it and they go back and they tell all their friends, oh, this is the best school ever. You know, you ought to consider coming to this school. It's the same idea. When you come to Christ, become a student of Christ, you should be compelled. If you're not compelled, there's something wrong. Alright? Because He's the one that's leading all of humanity out of bondage into redemption, into salvation, into everlasting life. And we're called to reproduce that. Okay? Now, this is very important, I feel. Because I think this is another area. And it's, it's happening right now. It's happened throughout the ages. But it kind of ebbs and flows. But right now there seems to be such an emphasis on... on um, uh, and a misunderstanding. I've actually talked to missionaries. I've actually met missionaries and talked to them that thought it was wrong to actually go to a foreign country and try to convince people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. They'd actually con- contorted the message of the Gospel to go out and make people's lives better by providing humanitarian resources. We need to build houses and give them medicine uh, you know, uh, before we can ever expect them to accept Jesus Christ. All right, now, there's a good, it's a good thing to help the poor. All right? It's good to build a house. It's good to find someone who doesn't have shoes and give them shoes. 
It's great to share medicine. Alright? And that, those can be means to an end. But if that becomes the end, if that's the purpose that you're going to another nation, then you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. You're just being a good humanitarian. You know, that's humanism. If we all work together, everybody will get better. And unfortunately, that may improve someone's living condition temporarily, but it will not change their eternal destination. The truth is, we are called to make disciples. And if building someone a house will open their ears to hear the message, then we'll build houses. And the church has probably built more houses than any organization ever has over the centuries. And distributed more medicines and built more hospitals uh, than anything. Alright? It's a great part of it, but at a certain point, people lose the Great Commission and just turn it into a humanitarian exercise. Am I making sense here? That we're to go forth and use whatever means we can to make them into disciples. That's the point. The third thing is baptizing them. So we're to go, we're to make disciples, we're to baptize. Now, the word baptism literally means to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge. But what I like best is the definition to overwhelm. And that's literally, that's the definition in the dictionary of the Greek word baptismo, which is what, where we get baptism. So clearly this refers to water baptism and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And overwhelming is, is the term of being like overwhelmed by a wave of water. Um, that's what the word meant. Or being submerged, completely drenched. And so water baptism is a sacrament. We do baptize people literally in water um, in obedience to this. But it goes further than that because he says baptizing, overwhelm them, submerge them into the name. And the and the biblical use of that term name in the language itself, it means the authority and the character. Alright? So we're to take people and lead them and submerge them, immerse them into the authority and the character of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus clearly refers to all three members of the Trinity, because becoming a disciple is being coming into an immersive relationship with the Father. Coming into an immersive relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior, the eternal Bridegroom. Uh, and coming into an immersive relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's really essential that it's not just an intellectual assent to some truths, but it's being baptized. It's being overwhelmed by the person and the authority and the character of each one of the, of the individuals in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The fourth thing is teaching them uh, to observe all things that I have commanded you. And this is, this is really hard to understand. It means to teach. <laughs> right? Insert laugh here. <laughs> Thanks, it worked. <laughs> Teaching them. It just means exactly what it says. We're to impart instruction, instill doctrine into, to explain or expound a thing. And frankly, we do a great disservice to those that become Christians and to the Lord Jesus Christ when we fail to instruct. 
Alright? It's not enough to get someone to say a sinner's prayer or get someone to accept the, 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 the truthfulness of Jesus as Lord. That's the beginning. That's when you become a disciple and then you live that out the rest of your life. Learning and being instructed, but also instructing. Right? Being a disciple is a lifelong commitment to learn and to teach. This goes back to the idea of leading. Not just going, but leading. In other words, you are learn you are lifelong learner and teacher. Okay? The truths you understand, you impart to someone else. And there's one thing that's <clears throat> I'm quite emphasized it every week. I kind of wanted to. But each one of us Every Christian is called to this, alright? Now the church as an organization, the body of Christ, Jesus established the church as the primary instrument. Uh, he's ordained it to be the means of discipleship. In other words, we exist as a church, and churches throughout the centuries exist to fulfill this, to teach the truths, to, to, to pass them from one generation to the next, to ensure orthodoxy. You know, and, and that there's a standard by which we live by. And people who reject the, uh, the, the institution of the church risk rejecting that, that, uh, the very thing that Jesus came to build. So there's, there's an important aspect that this is the purpose of the church. This is why I get up and teach every Sunday, alright? Because I'm trying to impart instruction. We have life groups that are discipleship groups and we do things like women's retreat and all these different activities. But each of us in Individually, you are called. This commission applies to us as individuals to teach others. So listen, each one should be leading at least one. Alright? Bottom line. We're going to expand on this more next week. But every one of us need to be leading at least one. Some people are called to lead many. Alright? If you're called to lead a small group or to lead a church or to lead a denomination... That's great. But every Christian should be in a relationship with someone else that they're teaching. And if you're not, then you're not being a disciple. Because the very word disciple means to lead. To to lead, to impart. Jesus said, go make disciples. So we're to be disciples that make disciples. Are, Are you getting this? And I know some of you are and some of you aren't. But you should be able to, if someone comes up and say, who are you teaching? Who, who do you have in a relationship that you're imparting knowledge to and, and instruction to in the ways of Christ? You should be able to list off at least one person. And if you're not, I'm calling you to do that. Alright? And if you're not, that may be why you feel like you're unfulfilled. Because you are. <laughs> you know? You don't need healing. You need obedience. Alright? Because you're not doing one of the primary things God's called you to do. Jesus Christ called you to do that. So let's do it. If you don't know how to do it, I can tell you how to do it. I can tell you a thousand ways. You know, take your pick. Who? Go out and find somebody. Go out and find somebody. Alright? People are going to hell. Because we're not willing to lead. That's what this is all about, saints. And it's a calling. It's an invitation into what Jesus is doing. Alright. And finally, the last of the five things is found in Acts uh, 8, uh, version of the commission. 
Jesus says, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. Well, this is an interesting word for witnesses. <clears throat> of course, it's, it does mean witness in the sense of, you know, like someone who stands in a court trial jurisdiction, uh, in, a, in a trial that you're a witness. That's the way we understand it. But the actual Greek word is martis, from which we get martyr. And it would be accurate, if not more accurate, to, for the translators to actually say, and you shall be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. Because in fact, that's what happened, isn't it? They were martyrs. Some of them, not all of them, but many of them. That's what the word means. <clears throat> um, one uh, dictionary defines it this way. It says, those who after His example, after Jesus' example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. How many want to sign up for that? Well, you already have. (laughs) This is a call. Not only that we live for Him, but we're willing to die for him, or let's understand it at least in this under this way that we are to live unto death for him, unwavering. All right, it's not a short-term commitment. This is a long-term commitment. Revelation says Jesus says, "Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life." Revelations twelve, verse ten, John says, "Then I heard." a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. They were willing to die. All right? It's exactly what the early church experienced. And frankly, this is what the church is experiencing right now in our day. You may not be aware of this, but more people die because of their faith in Christ now than ever in all of human history. Okay, There's a man in a prison in Afghanistan right now. In two days, he's scheduled to be hung. Why? Because he was baptized into the name of Christ. Afghan. Afghanistan, the very place we have our soldiers defending that government. And that government is going to execute him merely because he became a Christian. And he said, they can kill my body, but they can't have my soul. I've met a man, I think his name is Soporo, I can't remember exactly. Um, I've met him two or three times in Toronto. He's one of the key leaders in the ministry in Africa that, that is part of our association. <clears throat> and what they do is they go into villages and they do a crusade basically and get some people healed. You know, a few blind people see, the whole village converts. <laughs> That's how they do it. Raise somebody from the dead. You know, you got their attention. <laughs> and then they leave and they, they appoint somebody a pastor and they leave and say, oh, he's going to be a pastor and you just go and, and he'll teach you the Bible and they'll give him a Bible and then they check back after a while. Well, they went into one city and uh, did something similar and um, it was an Islamic uh, city and, they, and the nephew of this man I've met 
his nephew was left in the town to be the pastor. Well, they dismembered him, uh, cut off his arms, his legs, cut out his tongue, and then cut off his head. And if I remember correctly, they sent parts of it back to the people. Well, this, this man, Sapporo, was, it was his nephew. And he was fired up, you know. And so my reaction is, we'll leave that village alone, dust our feet. But he got, he traveled like 24 hours to this village himself. And he went out into the square. And he began to preach. And he said who he was. And he starts preaching the gospel. This happened just last year, okay, a few months ago. Not 10 years ago, not 100 years ago, a few months ago. He's in the village that had killed his nephew. And he says, he starts preaching. He says, you can cut off my arms and you can cut off my legs. You can rip out my tongue and cut off my head. And if you do, someone else will come and declare the love of the Father to you. And when the village elders heard that, they realized that this man was speaking truth. And the entire village got converted. Because he was willing to go and die. These people got it. We don't have that. Alright? We get uncomfortable if we have to bring up our faith because we think other people will think we're weird. We got a problem. Alright? You can lay that problem down. You need to hear the call from the voice of the Father, from Jesus Christ. To join. And chances are you'll never be called to be in that position. And thank God. Alright? But there's an issue of heart that you need to be willing to say, not my will, but thine be done. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we lay down fear. Lord, and timidity. Father, and we, I ask that you open our ears to the call that calls us up above our basic mundane concerns. And let us hear from You. Not from me, Father. Jesus, from You. Let each person here in this room hear this call, this commission to be part of the army of God to win the world in love. Father, I pray that each one here begins to lead another and that our eyes would be set on You above all else. In Jesus' name. Would you just say... I? I I repent of not fulfilling this call. And I ask for Your power, Holy Spirit, to enable me and equip me to be Your witness here in Kalamazoo and to the end of the world, to the end of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Adam has some announcements.